All right, welcome back to Good to Geek Out, Good Place to Go to Geek Out. We're always good to go, unless you're talking about me, apparently. Uh, Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 2, which is a also known as Chapter 10. Yeah, I pronounce it that way. The Passenger. That is a lot of meaning in that editor. San Antonio, let's do this, fellas. Boba Fresh, San Francisco, here to break down frame by frame, scene by scene, everything you've seen. Is my head, where my head, my head's pretty well situated between those frames. Enjoy my face. Hey, Rob Lucy coming at you from Phoenix, Oregon, rising from the ashes. Looking forward to discussing episode two, The Mandalorian. Another great episode. Uh, looking forward to jumping right in. Uh, spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen it, please watch the episode before you watch this episode. All right. Thank you for the warning. Um, starts off pretty quickly. Um, an ambush? Very reminiscent of Return of the Jedi with the Ewoks, if I don't recall. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's a, lot, a little bit more beyond that. I like to call this episode the Baby Yoda toy episode. Christmas is coming. What'd you guys think about that intro? Little jetpacks. That's the only jetpack. Well, I thought it was kind of interesting. We talked a little bit uh, last uh, about the last episode, how Mandalorian's um, reputation is out there, that he's got the child, if you will. Um, so it is known, and when they ambush him, they're not – they don't even mention his armor. They're like, grab the child and go. So the the um, the empire, what's left of the empire, obviously has a huge bounty out or reward out to get to get the child off of the Mandalorian's hands. So you know, some people are worried about the Beskar, but apparently, you know, the what's left of the empire will do anything to get the child. And I'm surprised, you know, if they know, you know, maybe it's just a group of um, bounty hunters that are working together uh, but uh, the mandalorian has to do a better job of uh concealing his tracks uh if he wants to get by but you know it does make for good tv i totally agree with lucy and the hmm i don't know what do i feel i totally agree with lucy that the opening was dope just like the last cold open we again have a very spaghetti western long frame shot seeing the expansiveness of the desert riding the horse into the horizon with the uh, classical takedown maneuver i mean we live in oh you said they live in a world with repulsor engines and laser guns and photon bombs and all of these things and they're like we're gonna use a rope <laughs> we're going to we're going to classic classic proven maneuver don't get me wrong um but i did i did think it was interesting and a, a real harken to the western spaghettiness of the whole thing by them going low tech with this attempted takedown but we see mando just do a phenomenal job like using his tools to like you know you could have any boom boom like sock him rock him fight but the fact like he uses his lasso to grab a gun and he ducks and he like bonks the two people and 
you know, it's exciting choreography. And then the exchange of the jetpack is so is so dope because the way that they 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 take it out of frame, like you know, they could we could have easily gone up and like saw the guy like spinning out of control and then totally war machine his way down to the ground. But instead they do all of it so classy off ground until you just see the yeah. And I thought that that was cool. That reminded me actually I think of, it, of uh, Bruce Banner jumping out and not turning into the Hulk in Ragnarok. Like it was, oh. but, but with way different results. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a very good intro. And then we got Mando uh, walking in the bar, <laughs> having to back up Dr. Mandible. Really? Is that the laziest name you could ever create for an insect creature? Dr. Mandible? I loved it. And the reason, I'm not going to lie, the reason I loved it is why I was actually upset with the pod racer thing last episode is that this is such fan service, but in a different way. Like this is, again, a universe where, a galaxy, I should say, where uh, Calamari oh. is, 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 okay. is like this little wink joke, you know, like... Uh, there's all of these funny naming devices that they end up using. And so for them to go with something that's just so, there's two different Star Wars. There's Star Wars of the kid books, there's Star Wars of the movies, and then there's something that's kind of in between. And there's been odd naming conventions from here to there, whether it's Star Killer Base or the Sun Killer or the Sun Sail or the Death Star or whatever it may be. Uh, it was like Dr. Mandible rocks. I hope someone takes that as a band name. <laughs> what kind of band though? Doesn't um, matter. Doesn't matter. It would be, punk would be best, but honestly, it would not matter. As long as they had the vision to call themselves Dr. Mandible. Salvadorian death metal. Um, so uh, Mando, um, Jin Jardin, I feel bad calling him that from now on. Jin says, uh, after he's get, he's granted the task for him to find out where Mando's at and has to take the frog lady, um, moving fast is the only thing keeping me alive. So he can't go light speed. He has to go normal speed. And I, I think that's kind of reflective of what we've seen so far. Uh, he came back to Tatooine. He went backwards. He's not going forward, not moving fast anymore. And that's kind of like been the whole problem this whole this whole time. Anytime he slows down for the kid, or does anything else, he ends up getting into trouble. But as a Mandalorian, I think that's where you get the honor thing. And they bring that, that up later in the episode when the frog lady uh, translates. I thought Mandalorians were known for their honor and their code and following through. And I think her bringing it up then makes you kind of reflect on what he's done, everything, you know, everything's done before that. And it definitely is reflective. And that's he gets back out and starts working on the ship. He wants to take a nap like any of us do after a hard day. But that code uh, keeps him who he is. But it's so uh, after, you know, after getting the task. Um, Rest on of the ship, episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was humorous. Like you kind of get to know uh, Baby Yoda is like hardcore carnivore. I don't think I've seen him eat a plant, but he loves eating meat and eggs and all kinds of stuff. And it was kind of funny that... Uh, Man, the Mandalorian was 
you know, trying to do the, like the, the parent, like, stop, no, like, like, you're like trying to, like a little kid or a dog, like, no, you can't eat those. I thought that was funny. Uh, and then ahead of that, not very far ahead of that, I thought this, the real star of this episode were the special effects. The, uh, the, uh, the pursuit scene uh, leading oh, down gosh. into the planet, the special effects blew me away. Uh, definitely um, cinematic movie quality special effects uh, in and out of the canyons, in and out of the clouds, and then even the crash landing and then down into the caverns was just super well done. And, and, and after that too, uh, you know, all very believable. The CGI on those spiders, again, jumping ahead, but uh, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I actually had noticed that when just the jetpack came down to land, I was like, this thing actually looks pretty seamless against the rocks. And then it just is like, lands and then just clunks over. So the ability for them to seamlessly tie in these visual effects with uh, real world uh, weight and mass, yeah, completely agree with you, uh, the strength of that. The, want to mention then the crate dragon meat and, um, and she's, you know, homegirl is all, uh, what's her name, Ed? What's her real name? Ripley Simmons. I'm not calling her Ripley Simmons. That's not, I'm calling her Ripley Simmons. Uh, but she does a good job, uh, again, like, you know, uh, she does a great job acting, not being this normal, like, uh, sheepish maternal figure that you would get that's, you know, shy of doing anything. She's like, you know, let's wheel and deal. Like, she's like, I got a Mandalorian right here. Why don't you put down on this? Boom. I got cash. I'm taking all of this. This is all, this is all mine. Now, what were you saying about your ship? Like she lit, it's the first time we see, like she goes out of his pocket. She basically took $500 out of, 500 credits out of Mando's pockets, you know, like. Yep. Um, so we see her craftiness and the whole comment with, I don't like eating things with maggots, I thought was a great visual of the, of the world and kind of makes us think how lucky we are not to have food that's maggoty. Yeah, no, uh, same thing. Like she's like, I, I will eat foods with maggots, but, but I, I, I prefer not to. Exactly. Given the option. Um, but then they go into roast the piece of crate dragon meat and we see another pod racer engine. And so this is where I think like the pod racer being a subtle kind of thing that's being functional as used, but not like in our face was a great service to the fans in a way that I felt was a bit overt last episode. Um, also, uh, uh, Lucy, you were talking about the whole Yoda being a carnivore and liking meat and liking eggs and stuff like that. I think that's uh, in another lifetime, we talked about season one and Strader brought up the fact that, you know, the force is life consuming. You do need life to, if, if there was no life, there'd be no force, right? So the, the force needs to consume life on some level and whether that's plants or animals, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's a, uh, an argument for other people. What I thought was really crafty about it is that we innately, because of the big eyes and all of the, the puppy dog baby brain things in us want to like the gecko mom and the babies as much as we like baby Yoda. And when baby Yoda starts eating them, like as soon as you see them, you're like, oh, don't eat them, don't eat them. And, and I was sure it was going to be one of those like long things that like, nope, he's going straight to eating them. 
but it is this thing not to on the point of carnivores or vegans or omnivores or uh, Atkins diets or whatever you want to be. But the idea that we are so disconnected from our food chain that, you know, I've got a dozen eggs in there right now. And I'm not thinking about any of their moms, <laughs> you know, like, like flat out, right. Honestly. And I did 12, all 12 of them probably come from different moms. It's not like they all came from like the same, I'm not getting this from a, a, a farm. So, you know, like this also, this idea of our, our disconnect from what we eat, I think was kind of highlighted. And, you know, like if you're going to make a good argument, uh, I, I bet you this episode made a couple of kids go uh, Lisa Simpson. Vegetarian. Uh, uh, also, one thing that was highlighted in this episode that we have not seen really very much in Star Wars is the lack of communication. There's a lot of languages out there. And it kind of is assumed that everyone kind of communicates because they're on the same planet. And somehow if they're interstellar, that they can communicate with other languages. This is the first time where we just see two people. Well, I don't think so. I think the frog lady understands what he's saying, but he's just playing out. Like, I do not know what you're saying. And when you, when you watch Ripley Simmons communicate with her in the episode, it's, it's this weird, like, it's, it's not even like normal human sounds that she has to make to communicate and Mando's just, uh, Ginger in is just like, I'm not even going to try. I don't speak that. And, you know, when they finally do communicate, it's another example of how in episode one, or, you know, last episode, we saw the sand people equated to normal people. Even though we, even though we can't speak their language or understand what they're doing, you can see them and understand that they know more than what you can comprehend through their verbiage. And, in that frog lady you see her and she's frustrated you don't know what she wants to say and she figures out a way to communicate because she is also as intelligent as mando and i think a lot of the time when people can't communicate with other people you somehow think they have less intelligence than you and this real these two episodes really show just because you can't communicate doesn't mean that you're her, not her walking out into the cave on her own that was a dumbass move that, that so, was a, that, that was trying to keep the eggs warm though trying to trying, keep, trying to keep warm. trying to move that plot along so what i will say to tie in the thing that both of you just said it was this thing about comprehension different languages alien cultures and it was super stupid she was jar jar binks done right like everything oh, they wanted yes. to accomplish with jar jar binks Good point. and the sense of the cgi like she gets down on all fours and starts running and just does she's That's super alien. and um and so that's what I like. I realized in this, when they started doing the conversation, I was like, oh, like, like, because she's saying very complex sentences. Like, you know, she's using her $10,000 college uh, degree as she speaks and talks to uh, Mando in regards uh, to, to, to guilting him into the whole uh, Mandalorian honor code, <laughs> which again was cool. But I do think going to that scene, as you had mentioned it, I thought that that was actually really out of character, but I didn't notice it until he did get up and start fixing the ship. Cause I was like, why are you sitting down? Like, like what happened? Like, like, like there was nothing, but it, every in the, in the episode, it was going along so smooth. I didn't really think about it until like she gave him the, the kick in the butt. So when Jin Jardin uh, gets quote unquote pulled over, by the cops in space 
that he's trying to obviously lay low from. It's why he's been trying to move forward, move fast this whole time. Um, there's this weird subtext almost of it doesn't matter who's in charge, whether it's the Empire or the New Republic. Either way, you're going to get pulled over. you got to show your papers. Even when you think it's okay, it's still not really okay. You still got to show something. I, I, it, was, it was kind of a weird thing to feel and watch because, you know, I'm sure we've all been all pulled over by the cops. Um, not me. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Um, and, then, and then later on in the episode, it does play out differently. Um, but it was just, it, it, to me, it was just a weird message of like, because they say that a lot. You feel that a lot in in the in the whole show. Who's in charge? Is it the dark side? The light side doesn't matter. Whoever's in charge is going to run things their way, but nothing really ultimately changes. And I felt like them getting pulled, like him getting pulled over right there. It kind of was like almost emphasizing that in a way that we've never seen in Star Wars at all. That's all. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that going in with there's sub-genres, this one obviously being horror slash aliens. Uh, they hit us, the pod, the egg pod scene and everything busting and this, the, the scary running through the hallways and it bust, you know, like it's, you know, it's a horror film. Um, but the cop thing was so, the cop thing was so well done because it was so dry. And it was so unexciting. I mean, it leads to a very phenomenal chase. But like you're saying, like, who does matter when it's in charge? How, the law matters when, when people are in charge, but like who is executing the law, I think ends up becoming a big thing because as the episode winds up, you know, they end up, you know, saving they the them. They end up saving the day. out the fire. And that's something that we know that the empire wouldn't do. You know, they wouldn't follow up to do that. Right. So we see right. that distinguishing uh, factor. Yeah, they uh, wouldn't follow up and they wouldn't, they wouldn't let them off because they're like, yeah, we should take you in. But we got enough problems going on around here and you did our homie a solid. Um, but I also think that the selection of the pilots again goes on to this awesome highlighting of the diversity within the universe and you don't always have to have central casted young, handsome, strapping guy. Like, you know, like, it's like, this is someone's retired geometry teacher who's, <laughs> you know, the old Asian guy with the beard. And he did a phenomenal job, but we see how the empire, I mean, how the new, we see how the new Republic is strapped. And, you know, they're like, whoever wants to do this. But we also see why Cara Dune in the last season is like, yo, I'm out of here. I don't want to patrol. Like I am a like, I, I, I like shooting guns and you want me to go out and like check people's driver's license. Like, yeah. like, and so they, they really show again, this dryness of someone who wants adventure. This isn't the life. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole run of the ping, like, okay, well, like, we'll just take you into the station. He's like, Oh, Oh, Hey, uh, I got the, uh, I got my registration right here. I'm sorry. <laughs> they forgot about it. Right. Uh, I kept it in the glove box. So I usually don't do that. Okay, but here it is. Uh, like you know, like it was. It was a great bit of dialogue back and forth. We have Alien a nickname spider. for you, Lucy. The Navi White Spider. <laughs> I'll take it. All right, that's not bad. Not bad. It's not bad. 
Um, yeah, the Novel White Spider was cool. It definitely was taken from the Ralph McQuarrie old art books that I used to pour over uh, in old legends lore. It is one state of, um, of the life cycle of the trees that are on Dagobah that Yoda lives in. So then I'm assuming in canon that is not the same because it does not seem like these things are making any trees uh, on this planet. So, you know, easily for the canon to just shift over. But, but in Rebels, there is a spider. Uh, shit, man. I don't know where I put it. But there's a uh, spider that is like kind of force sensitive and it feeds off your fears. So it's almost dark side, but not really. So then like but that's, if you calm yourself, then it doesn't, uh, it, it befriends you almost. But those spiders, I know. Um, different, for sure. They're blaster proof. Like there's like, you know, it, it's part of the MacGuffin for that episode was that they just couldn't shoot them to make them go away. Like, you know, like right. they had to. To figure it out so the fact that you know we see the empire i mean the empire the fact that we see the new republic just blast them away lets us know that that isn't it but i think that baby yoda the 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 heating pool jacuzzi the like oh well what about these things over here and you know he goes and you know just like, eats it up and we're like oh it's we're it's so cute when you eat it up and it was again one of those beautiful things about how they present the story because we know as the audience that you shouldn't be doing that you know like we just like like you're in your mind like like Jim just turn around look at him he's doing something like and and so that's when I think that it starts to boom invoke the real horror fill of everything going away which I think was kind of foreshadowed with the heat tracers and heat signatures. Cause again, in aliens, like, you know, like they're just seeing the, the heat or in predator, like they're just seeing like the heat uh, get uh, followed. Um, but yeah, there are all sorts of different sizes and they're big and they're everywhere and they blended against the background, which totally made sense. Like that's why I was like, if it's in Canon, like, you know, it totally makes sense that these would be naturally adapted predators if they're, this white, but then you see the giant one and you're like, no, that thing doesn't hide. <laughs> that thing is not a camouflage ambush hunter. <laughs> it is hungry. And the uh, special effects, like Lucy is saying, the special effects of just seeing it through the uh, ice sheet uh, above and, and everything just as fast as it was moving still gave you time to absorb the whole scene and that's hard to do in the framing. And they, you know, again, an, an excellent episode. Nailed it. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, the way um, Filoni and the New Republic saved them is pretty uh, awesome, too. But, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, is the it doesn't matter who's in charge and who's not. Um, Mando offers them a bribe pretty much, right? He's going to give them the bounty for what he has. And they turn him down and just say, hey, go basically go fix your tail light. So we don't have to pull you over. <laughs> so we don't have to pull you over next time, um, which, which, which I think is a great statement because it is like this is a, the new republic. This is a republic. It's not the empire, and that's the you don't get the differentiation in the beginning, and I don't think Mando does, and we're not intended to understand that differentiation yet. 
You know, I thought it was interesting. Like his his uh, decisions and his actions in the past are affecting his present. You know, like oh, so you you know you you help one of ours, uh, and then going back to the last episode where um, Gore Karash is like, yeah, we know you got the baby with you. You know, his uh, the Mandalorian. His reputation is out there. You know, in the Republic and in, in the underworld, and obviously uh, the remnants of the Empire know about him too. Um, makes for good TV. We'll see, you know, see what other uh, actions he's done or things he's done in the past, how it affects his future. And we know we're going to get um, Cara um, Dunes coming in. And then, you know, unfortunately, I already know it, but, you know, Ahsoka, I think anybody who knows anything about this is knowing that she's Boiler. making an appearance. Um, yeah, I, which I to the Ahsoka thing, I actually think that was real cool that they did the Boba Fett thing because everyone knew that he was going to be coming in because he was like, you know, like, I am DB'd. So for them just to be like, well, you, we know you're waiting for all sorts of these cameos. So here, we're never going to do anything with it. Just look at a picture of <laughs> uh, I thought it was cool. The cop, uh, the cop wrap up, the deuce ex machina that I so like to point out yes. was was well done. Um, yeah. That's what it should be used for. It was seeded in earlier. The fact that they bring up last season's episode with the jailbreak and the fact that he doesn't waste it, like he goes out of his way to make sure that like, guys, let's not fucking kill this dude. Um, is, is super solid. And, but it was also cool because I went, I was actually just watching that episode last week. And I realized it's one of my favorite episodes from last season it just stands alone like it doesn't need anything it is like it's perfectly encapsulated thing so for them to come back to it but i remember the first time i had watched that episode i thought when the x-wings came in that they photon torpedoed the space station and they just blew it up and i noticed this time when i was watching i was like oh no like they they shoot the ship that's about to launch and get uh the razor crest but outside of that like the x-wings are just flying around just like shooting at it so the fact that they end up catching the uh, the escaped criminal and like you know this ends up playing out in this episode, uh, and also the fact that they fly in the the fact that they fly in the uh, Razor Crest and so the Razor Crest again like is you know as opposed to taking any other ship because it's off the the radar and the last episode ends up becoming the reason that he gets pinged. He says that. He helped bring in three fugitives, which are uh, the gang that he left behind. Mm -hmm. But we use the droid Zero that he shot when because he tried to fuck with the baby. Oh, that's, that's the translator. Is in this episode. So all of these characters are getting like that's how you tie it in. That's how you mm -hmm. weave it together. And I didn't even know this, that part. Nice. And they've done just such a great job uh, kind of, you know, like doing the seating. This is the things that I love about the episode. Uh, him taking off and just having like the rickety rocket uh, limping on its way to Trask, <laughs> I thought is, uh, is real cool. Uh, yeah, all, all in all, they continue to deliver. Mandalorian, I love you. Yeah, I got it. I gotta say, like I, I really thought it was a filler episode, which I have not used yet. Um, but you guys definitely convinced me otherwise. Uh, I definitely know Baby Yoda is gonna 
life-size baby Yoda's on sale this Christmas. And I know that's why this episode was so Yoda central. Um, centric. I went to the, uh, the toy department at Walmart yesterday. Baby Yoda is everywhere. Yeah, it's not. Um, when he presses his face against the uh, egg jar and it's just a big blue, like, and I was like, oh, yeah, you just sold a million baby Yodas. Like, that, that in the last scene when he takes that last one, like, you should be upset. Like, if you're following the story at that point, it's not cute anymore. Like, you're, you're murdering a species. <laughs> you're eating an endangered turtle egg on the shore as the mother lays birth to it. Like, that's not cute. So on that note, um, uh, Mandalorian season two looks like it's going to be pretty good, even with the quote unquote filler episode that I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, my name is Editor, coming out of San Antonio, and I like my crate dragon medium rare. What do you think I am? Some kind of Rodian? <laughs> I prefer my crate dragon medium rare as well. Uh, uh, great episode. I. Uh, you know, I, I could see the point about being kind of a filler episode, but I love the throwbacks to the previous season. And I think it really did move the story along um, uh, a bit there and shows uh, character development. Uh, Rob Lucy signing off from Southern Oregon. Like, comment, subscribe, and look forward to seeing you guys next week. Oh, and my other thing is that in regards to this being a, in regards to this being a filler episode, I will say that it was the first one that is under 45 minutes. And that was the first thing that I had noticed when I clicked it on. Yeah, it's like a 44 minute episode. It's super, super short, but the story moves along at such a well-timed pace that it doesn't seem to need to want anything. And I think it's rare that you get something that is tailored and edited to what it's supposed to perfectly be. Like, as opposed to a regular, you know, Game of Thrones, we have to fill in this 55 minutes, no matter what of the story, we have to. And so they're just like, no, this, this bit just needs 44 minutes. All right, well, we need an hour. No, don't put those extra 15 minutes in. Just, just edit this. People are going to watch it. They're going to love it. Let's do it. So yeah, they can saving stuff for the, uh, the director's cuts down the road once it goes to DVD or streaming or whatnot for sure but they can do that with but they can do director's cuts with 55 110 minute episodes also the fact that they yeah. are we you can do more with less is rarely actually used mm. in media and big tv and they do more with less in this episode this is boba fresh come in next week for more insightful ramblings from a madman. <laughs> Peace. All right. Nice. Nice. Good stuff. Oh, great.